Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hope. My name is Tammy Lynn Connors, and this is my YouTube channel and podcast, Helping Other People Evolve. Today, I am blessed to have James on here. How are you today? I am well, Tammy. So glad to be on your show. I appreciate it. So I met um, James, James, right? Jamie. Jamie. After I said James, I was like, wait, I think it's Jamie. I mean, my given name is James, but I've always been called Jamie. Oh, well, see, there we go then. <laughs> Anyways, I met Jamie a couple weeks ago because I was interviewed on a podcast that he is a host of. So I said, called hey. Sober Podcast. Yeah, exactly. And I'm so excited for that. It was such a blessing to be on there. And so I had talked to him a little bit and thought, well, it'd be great to interview you on Hope, you know, and I'm so blessed that you said yes. And so just real quick, what my mission and vision with Hope is, is just to help people that feel like they're struggling alone. You know, I say that there's probably 95, maybe even my 99% of people that in this world that go through a struggle. And there are some that fortunately are able to get to a strength. And Jamie is one of those people. So what I just hope is that maybe you'll hear Jamie's story. And if you're at home struggling, maybe today will be the day that you can get out of bed and walk outside and said, man, Jamie did this. I can do this, you know, and that's just what my mission and vision with hope is. Now you're in New York City, correct, Jamie? That's correct. All right. How long have you lived in New York City? I have lived here for 32 years. Wow. In the actual like city city? In the city in Manhattan. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. And I, I'm from Texas originally, Beaumont, Texas. And oh, okay. So big difference. At, at the tender age of 22. Oh, goodness, goodness. So, um, so I guess let's, yeah, let's go in Jamie's life. And then you're, you're in recovery, correct? Yep. Uh, it was 14 years uh, last month in December. Congratulations. That's awesome. December. That's a rough month to get sober too. You know, I, I talk about that, you know, that's, that's pretty, yeah, awesome. it, you know, it, but it actually, people hear my date, my date is December 29th and they think it has to do with the holidays, but it really doesn't. Right, um, right. Although it was because of the holidays that prevented me from drinking. Mm, gotcha, gotcha. So, so you moved to New York City at the at a young age of twenty two. I mean, that's young just to get up from Texas and come to New York. Yeah, what was the reason yeah. to go to the city? Um, I was. Uh, I like um, theater. And, um, and I love, um, the arts and, uh, I was always growing up in Texas. Um, I watched a lot of movies. My parents loved the theater and exposed me to that. Um, and Houston was nearby city. Uh, and I always loved going to the big city. And then, um, and then I did some theater myself in school and college. And I spent a junior year abroad in London. Uh, and so I got a taste of what living in a big city with a lot of theater was like. And I had visited New York once uh, when I was 14, uh, which December was the 40th anniversary of my first oh, visit to New York and saw a show every night. And I was like, immediately from that first day, I fell in love with New York. And I was like, oh, my God, this is where I need to be. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I was I'm also a, a writer and um, was so I came to New York to actually get into publishing. I took a I went to college in Texas and then I took a postgraduate course in uh, book and magazine publishing at Radcliffe Harvard is a summer course and with the intention of moving to New York and getting a job in publishing. And, and that's what I did. Okay. Awesome. That's awesome. So with your drinking, did it start at a younger age and, you know, it started, um, well, <laughs> I couldn't wait to drink. I probably wanted to start drinking when I was five because I, okay. was, I loved, 
um, what I saw at my parents' parties, they entertained a lot. And, um, and my father loved drinking, may have been an alcoholic. Um, and, and I loved, I was one of those precocious children who I didn't, I wasn't comfortable around kids of my mm-hmm. own age. And I was just thought, why do I have to have childhood? Can I just bypass this and be an adult? And to right. me, to me, alcohol symbolized sophistication and the fast ticket to adulthood. So I okay. wanted to drink. I couldn't wait to to be an adult and and be at a party and have a martini in one hand and a cigarette in the other. That was my idea of heaven. And I, but I didn't, I, I drank, I started drinking when I was 14, you know, okay. when I was a kid, I had sips of my father's drinks and, you know, and they'd let me have champagne at a wedding, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I don't think I ever got drunk as a little, as a child, but, um, right. but 14 was the, was when I started drinking in high school. In and high then by school. the time I was in my twenties and I, and I did always drink to get drunk. Um, right. I mean, I just, I can, I still don't understand what the point, if you're not an alcoholic, why would you bother drinking? I just right. don't. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Like those people that I, you know, sometimes cause I work at the casino and sometimes people leave the table and they'll have like this much beer left. In oh, their I don't understand that. This much of a drink. And I'm like, wait, how do you do that? Why? <laughs> right? Yeah. Same thing. So, so, so when you moved to New York, then you had already like been drinking for a while. And stuff. I'd been drinking and, and uh, drugs were part of my story as well. Alcohol was always my favorite, my, my love. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, and that I always came back to, but there was, you know, there was ecstasy and cocaine and pot and um, acid, you know, I had, done all that. Um, so I was, I was pretty sophisticated by the time I got to New York, as far as drinking and drugs go. And, uh, once I, I think, I, I guess I became an everyday drinker by my early twenties, um, okay. definitely my mid twenties for sure. Uh, and again, I felt like it was, you know, this is, I'm an adult. I can do whatever I want. This is, I love drinking. This is a privilege and this is what adults do are the, and if they don't do it, there's a, they should be doing it. You know, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so drinking every day, were you did you were you like a functioning alcoholic, would you say? Yes. For all yeah. I, and how long was I a functioning alcoholic? Probably a long time. And mm-hmm. uh, and then I was also one of those where uh, I would I would joke about my drinking you know, and I would joke about being an alcoholic and I would, you know, and we, you know, we'd go on a vacation and we'd go with a group of friends and we'd all drink and get drunk. And then we would joke, Oh, we've got to go to Betty Ford after this, um, right. after this, after this week and that sort of thing. And, uh, but the drinking, you know, it, it, it you know, what happens, um, it, uh, it got out of control and it started to control me. And, um, you know, I was, even though I thought jokingly and and not well, half jokingly called myself an alcoholic and um, half believed it. But I thought, you know what? So what? I like to drink. And it's about it. And for me, it's not I'm not drinking to escape and I'm not drinking over problems. I'm drinking to have fun. Right. And, but that but the fun turned to fun with problems, turned to mostly problems and some fun and then turned to all problems. And then I was drinking to escape and then I was drinking over the drinking and I was drinking over the problems caused by the drinking. And I was drinking over the problems, you know, uh, blah, you know, and it was, right. you know, the vicious cycle. And um, and I remember I tried to get sober 
um, when I was 34, I had my first bottom. I, um, I went out for drink. Uh, I, I went out for, for drinks after work as I often did. And it was supposed to be a couple of drinks. And then I was going to come home to my boyfriend and a couple of drinks turned into several drinks turned into trying to buy Coke at a, or, or buying Coke at a bar, um, you know, a CD bar across town and then getting rolled and uh, having no money and, um, and then, you know, showing up at home uh, at seven in the morning, the next morning. And this had happened many times before. Uh, mm-hmm. And but this time I thought, I can't do this anymore. I'm I'm sick and tired of this. Mm-hmm. And rather than just going on, you know, rather than sleeping off the day and then saying that I wasn't going to drink that night and then drinking that night and then just starting all over again, I called a sober, uh, my from, former boss who had gotten sober okay. and I was working for him and he and asked for help. Mm-hmm. And he, he left his office. It was a work day, and he left his office uh, and came to my apartment. And I was drinking a screwdriver and smoking. And um, you know, I told him what happened and and that you know I needed help. And he said, "Well, he said today's a wash." He looked at my screwdriver and he said, "But do you think you cannot drink tomorrow?" And mm-hmm. I said, "I'll try." And he said, "I'll t- take you to a meeting because I knew about AA at that point." And um, and a miracle of miracles, I didn't drink the next day and hmm. took me to a meeting. And I thought it was great. I thought it was wonderful. I was a speaker meeting and I loved the speaker and I loved everyone sharing the, what they, the, the stories they shared. I've always loved the stories. Right. And I'm, you know, funny, I'm a writer and a storyteller. So I guess right. that's no brainer. And, <laughs> and I couldn't wait to sit in that speaker chair. And I was like, when do right. I get to tell? And of course, my my thinking was on that first meeting was I want to sit up there and I want to tell you how fabulous my drinking was. And I want to tell you exactly what I drank, what I like to drink and when I like to drink it. And blah. <laughs> right. So there's a reason we don't get to sit in that chair until you're right. 90 days. And um, but so I, I, I thought AA was great, but I could not get the first step. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I didn't understand the, my life had become unmanageable bit. I didn't really listen to that or think about it or, or, and, and apply it to me. I just thought, oh, I need to stop drinking. And I could, and I would, I was, so I was in the program for a few months and I'd get, you know, 50 days or 20 days or 30 days and that kind of thing. And I would drink. And then the back to functioning alcoholic, I went to, I went on, I took a trip uh, to Brazil and I thought, well, I can't not drink caipirinhas in their native country and mm-hmm. I'm going to have my fun and I'm going to drink and I'm going to do what I want to do. And then when I get back, I'm really going to get serious about getting sober mm-hmm. I came and I drank and I did Coke and I got disappeared for a couple of days. And I almost had sex with a woman named Gladys who had red hair like my grandmother and um, I mean, that should have been a bottom right there, but it was not. I mean, she was perfectly lovely, but I'm gay. And right. Never right. <laughs> and, um, so and when I came back and I, I had a moment of what I thought was uh, brutal honesty and acceptance. And I said, you know what? I am gay and I have red hair and I like to drink a lot and I'm a functioning alcoholic. And as long as there's the word functioning in front of alcoholic, I'm okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I listen to what those people said in those meetings and, and how, you know, and if it gets as bad as it did for them, 
you know, like if they, if they, if I get fired, if I start to get fired, if I start to kill myself, if I start mm-hmm. to go to jail, then I'll come back, mm-hmm. which is of course absurd because again, it, it, it's the, it, the thinking was that somehow I could control it. Correct. Uh, and so I can, I made a decision and I continued to drink uh, and it got worse. And a lot of those things that happened to those other people happened to me. I got fired. I tried to kill myself. Um, and that, that suicide attempt, which was, was my second bottom. And, uh, I, um, was spent a week in detox, um, after, uh, you know, at the local hospital, my mother, um, my Texas mother, Mama Jean, she was this over the top Texas woman, you know, with the, with the, with the hair done once a week. And, you know, her face was always camera ready, you know, before she right. left the house and she could scare the hell out of, you know, uh, Joan Crawford, you know, she was so intimidating, but she loved me and she'd been on to my drinking for, for years. And, and mm-hmm. so she, uh, when I came to in the emergency room after the suicide attempt and I was told that she was on the way, I was like, Oh no. Why no, no, her? her? <laughs> and, and, you know, because I could just hear her. I end up like this. I just know it. You know, right. that thing. And I was, and I realized now that I was so afraid of her knowing this and coming up there because it meant that I, I, because if she didn't know, then I could sweep it under the rug mm-hmm. and keep going, you know, mm-hmm. and, and talk uh, everything, everyone around me out of, you know, like, oh, it's not that bad. I know I'll cut back. I'll stop. I'll, but right. facing her meant I had to face myself mm-hmm. and had to face the, the, the alcoholism. And so she came up and, and, um, and uh, I agreed to go to rehab uh and I went to rehab for 60 days and I went to this all male facility in, in Palm Springs. Um, and by the way, my insurance didn't pay for it because, and, and this was in 2006. So I don't know in New York, so I don't know but what the deal is now, but the, when I was in the detox, the case manager who was this perfectly lovely woman and very kind and helpful. She asked me, I'm not sure it was maybe that the next day, mm-hmm. if I f- was still suicidal, and I said no, I don't know. I don't know if I could. I don't know if anyone could in that my position could answer that question right. honestly. Right. And and I don't know if I even if I consciously lied because I might have been lying because I, because just to think oh that's the right answer right because sure. that's what everyone wants to hear and that's sure. what's going to get me out of here. Mm-hmm. Well. Had I said I was still suicidal, my insurance for the company I was working for would have paid for um, out inpatient uh, rehab. But because I said I was no longer suicidal, they wouldn't pay for inpatient and only only outpatient. And then they but they said if that failed, if I failed outpatient, then they would pay for inpatient. But of course, if I failed, I might be dead. Right. Uh, So anyway, my mother, um, thank God she had the means she paid for the for the rehab. And I chose this all male facility and I thought, you know, if I'm going to go to rehab, I might as well get laid. My best thing. And um, uh, the joke was on me. There were, I was the only gay guy there and the other guys were all straight and they're, you know, and it, and I thought, oh, I've chosen the wrong place. This is like my worst nightmare come true. 24 seven gym class. And, right. Um, 
And then, but you know what? It turned out it was after the shock of being in rehab and, and it was, it was great. And it was the best thing that I could have done. And, but my case manager or therapist, he was, uh, he was gay and he got me and, um, he really helped me a lot. And when I came back from rehab, I thought I was done. Mm-hmm. And I had what I call a seven month itch, mm. and you know, seven months. And then my best friend pissed me off and hurt my feelings. And I drank over it. And oh. then I was back in a couple of days later. And then seven months later, I was overwhelmed at work with a project that I was filled with fear. So the first one was ego. The second one, I was filled with fear. I can't do this. It's too much. And I drank over it. Same thing. I was in a couple of days later. And then seven months later, I'm out uh, with my partner at a, at out in Fire Island, uh, this beach uh, community. And it was gorgeous out there. And, and it was just this, we were guests of some friends and we were, you know, it was lovely afternoon. And I went to the meeting there and it was beautiful, beautiful view of the, of the water. Everything was great. And I thought, and I left that meeting and I thought, gosh, a Cape Cod would be really nice right now. And I just like a robot, I short circuited and turned it left and went into the bar and had two Cape Cods. And then I drank secretly because I was supposed to be sober. You know, I couldn't, and uh, everyone, you know, I couldn't drink openly um, and didn't have the balls to drink openly. And so that lasted long, a long time. Thank God I never reached another bottom, um, but it was torture. Because, you know, the old, you know, with a head full of AA and a belly full of booze, um, mm-hmm. you know, you can't enjoy your drinking anymore. So it was this, you know, drinking in secret. It was awful. And then I was supposed to back to the December uh, 29th, I was supposed to drink. And I was um, this uh, guy, someone in, that I, uh, um, uh, uh, hooked up with a few times. He invited me out for drinks at a, at a fancy hotel. And I was like, and I had 17 days because I was, what I was doing was at this point in the secretly drinking, I was still going to AA and I would stop for a while. And, and, but I, I wouldn't openly count days because I couldn't go through the humiliation of it again. Right. Many times before. And I thought, you know what, when I get to 90, then I'll tell everybody Mm -hmm. once again, trying to control it. Sure. uh, I couldn't get to 90. And so I had about 17 days or so. And this guy invited me out for drinks at a fancy hotel. And I thought, oh, I really shouldn't. But you know what? I only have a few days anyway. So I said yes. And so on December 29th was the date. And that day I, I worked in, in New York in Midtown, which is very busy. And I thought, oh, and it was during the holiday. So, the, so it was dead in the office and a lot of people were gone. Nothing was happening. And I thought, oh, I'll go over to this museum down the street and see this exhibit I want to see. And maybe, you know what, since I'm going to drink tonight, it's this evening. I'll go ahead and have a nice lunch at the museum and have a couple of glasses of wine. And I went to the museum and you couldn't get near it because of the tourists, because it was the the holiday season. And I thought, oh, you know, screw that. You know what? Forget it. I'm not waiting in that line. And I grabbed a sandwich, went back to my desk and the guy canceled. And I just looked up at the ceiling and I said, uncle. And I remember rather than, and I know that that was a moment of grace. And mm-hmm. I know that because well, I could have easily said, oh, well, you know, too bad. I'll, you know, I'm, I was going to drink anyway. I'm, I'll, right. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and drink anyway. I can drink alone. I, I know I do that all the time or reschedule. 
But instead, I thought, you know what? I consciously said, I think I'm going to take this as a sign for my higher power that the the, the, the jig is up. Mm. And then I went to a meeting the next, and I didn't drink that day. And I went to, and that so that was my day one. And I went to a meeting the next day and said, you know, it's day two back and, you know, haven't had a drink since. So wow. I think yeah. I finally surrendered, you know. Surrendered. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest part, you know, and your story is definitely a story of hope because, you know, there's so many people out there that I honestly have been very blessed that I've never relapsed. Um, but I know so many people out there that have. And like you said, then, you know, then you have that guilt of that relapse and then you don't want to tell anybody. So now you're at home drinking by yourself. You got a in your head, alcohol in your belly, but your and your thoughts. And it's when you're talking right now, I've been talking a lot this week about, you know, how much our mind, we either control our mind or our mind controls us. Right. And, you know, you get that one little thought in your head and you can build it up to whatever you want and make any scenario that you want, you know, and like you said, like, oh, well, I only have this much time. I'm going to Brazil. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, you're going to drink in Brazil, right? Because right. that's what you have to do there, you know, and it's all that stinking thinking that they talk about, you know, um, that we go through. It's just and it's just crazy that our mind can get that much control over us. But. Now here you are sober. How many years did you say again? I'm so sorry. 14. 14 years of you controlling your mind. Because, you know, I tell people like, you don't walk outside, Jamie, and I don't walk outside. And there's this bubble around us that says, okay, nothing's going to get in our way of our sobriety or our life, right? We don't have that. So now we have to learn to live life with tools that we use. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, uh, and even, you know, I don't um, um, get bogged down in the uh, the language of of the big book. Right. Um, you know, some people, oh, it's, you know, I mean, I know some of it's dated and it needs to be updated and all that. And I agree with that. But I don't really um, nitpick about it, except there's the one thing where they say of half measures availed us nothing. Mm. And that I disagree with. And I know what they're saying. They're saying, you know, you've got to you got to be all in and surrender to, for, to, to, to stay sober. And I agree with that. However, half measures, I had a lot of half three quarter, um, two thirds measures. And which is all those meetings I went to before all that, you know, the, the in and out, um, uh, the relapse and it wasn't a waste of time and it didn't avail me of nothing because it, it was all leading into the road to getting sober. And, um, uh, and what I learned along the way helped, you know, obviously helped finally get me sober, you know, which is reaching out for help. Um, uh, and I remember in that last, it was, and it was a struggle after, uh, you know, that day that on, on, when I said uncle, you know, right. and drink that day on December 29th when I was supposed to, and then went to a meeting and admitted my day count. It was a struggle, um, that first year. Uh, sure. and, um, but I remember I finally started lit, using the tools, um, mm-hmm. and using the hope, um, that those tools come with, come with. And I remember, and it's funny, I don't remember one night I was, I was, I wanted to drink, um, and I was, you know, white knuckling it. And I was, I was really, really wanted to drink. I can't tell you why or what, but here's what, what I do remember mm-hmm. is that I was in a taxi cab on my way to somewhere and I called another alcoholic 
And I said, I want to drink and here's what's going on and blah, blah, blah. And he talked me through it. Um, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, I don't remember what what was it that, that why I wanted to drink. Don't matter. It doesn't it, it doesn't matter. But what, what was important was that I reached out for help and it got me through that. And I didn't drink. And by the time I got out of the cab, I didn't want to drink. Right. Um, you know, that- uh, my mother, who. Uh, you know, help get me sober with, you know, and, and sending me to rehab and putting the bill. I never told her I relapsed. And then she lost her mind to um, a disease called Lewy body dementia. And, and, uh, but before we had a diagnosis, we just knew that she'd lost her mind. And, you right. know, and the first time I saw her, it was uh, after after I'd had the, you know, after the December 29th epiphany. Okay. And, um, and so, you know, she lost her mind and and I flew down to Texas to, to visit her for the first time. And so I had seven months sober and I was struggling, you know, to get that, um, to get, to get to a year. And I still didn't know if I had acquired the desire. I finally under- was starting to understand that you have to have the desire to stop drinking, not the need yeah. to stop drinking. Yeah. Yes. And, so I saw her and it was very upsetting and she, I wasn't even sure if she knew me mm. and the whole visit. She was in a geriatric facility. And then as I started to leave, you know, I was just like turned away from her. I was like, yeah. oh, she doesn't even look like my mother. And, you know, her, uh, and, and she grabbed my arm and I turned around and she looked at me and she looked like my mother mm-hmm. She was angry. And she said, you've been drinking. And I said, no, I haven't. And like I said, I was seven months sober. And she said, you better not be lying. I said, I'm not lying. I said, remember, you took care of that. You don't have to worry anymore. And in that moment, I thought, you know, who would blame me if I drank over my mother losing her mind? Mm. And then I said, you know what? There's another way to look at it. If you can't stay sober for yourself, do it for her. Mm. And I turned and I looked her in the eye and I said, you don't have to worry anymore. Mm. Okay, but promise me, promise. I said, I promise. Mm. And that was the last time. And that was just this one flash of her. It was the last time I saw her where she seemed like herself. Mm -hmm. And and it just, it floored me. And, and I thought, you know, that's, that was, that was the last push I needed Mm -hmm. um, to keep me sober. And five months later, she died. And five months later, I got sober. Uh, mm. in the same month or, or not forgot sober. Well, but I, no, you have been a year then. Yeah. Got a year. And of course we all, you know, you know, I know that we have to stay sober for ourselves ultimately because mm-hmm. we have to want it for ourselves to stay, mm-hmm. to, to stay sober for long time sobriety. Um, and I do want it for myself. Um, uh, but that was, like I said, you know, that was the last push of like, I'm going to do it for her. Mm-hmm. You know, when you say that, Jamie, because we, you know, they do say that, like, you're, you're not going to get sober for anybody else. You got to get sober for yourself. But when I quit, it was kind of the same. Like I, I watched my dad die from alcoholism at 34. He drowned in our bathtub. And um, I watched that whole process of him going, you know, down the slopes of addiction. And when I was so sick and I weighed like 85 pounds and I was jaundiced and my eyes were yellow, and I had pancreatitis. And I knew that if I didn't stop, it was going to end soon. And all I could think of was my 15 year old son sitting in his bedroom and losing his mom. Like I lost my dad and mm. that's why I quit. 
It was so he would never find me dead. That was my main reason at that point. And then now the sobriety is for me, but at that point, and sometimes it has to be that point, you know, right. I I always, I tell people you use whatever, whatever it takes. If you're, if you're going to a meeting because there's, you know, someone you find attractive and that's, what's getting you to the meeting. Great. If you're, if you're going because you're trying to save your job. Great. Um, because fully ultimately you're going to go for yourself. Exactly. Sober for yourself. Exactly. So, well, I appreciate you sharing your story with us. It was amazing. You have an amazing story, Um, you know, and I'm thankful and grateful and blessed that you're still here to share your story, you know, that suicide attempt didn't work for a reason, you know, and that's what I always say, you know, when, when I'm sharing stories of struggles to strength, you know, it's God gave us a story, you know, whatever you believe your God, higher power, whatever it is, you know, they gave us a story to share with others, not to keep to ourselves. And, you know, I appreciate you sharing and, and, you know, now you're my new friend, just so you know, Jamie, and someday (laughs) I I hope to get to New York and visit. That will be awesome. I've been there. So, yeah. Yeah. And speaking of sharing, I share my, uh, you know, as I said, I'm a writer and a storyteller and I, I wrote a memoir uh, called dangerous when wet, a memoir of booze, sex, and my mother. And, um, and it's about my alcoholism and through written through the prism of my relationship with my mother, Mama Jean. And um, you can get it on Amazon as in uh, these days as an ebook um, or an okay. audio book narrated by me. Awesome. I'm working on a second memoir about my father. I favor my daddy, A Tale of Two Sissies, uh, about my father, Earl, whom I think was also an alcoholic and also a closeted homosexual. Um, so good stuff, but they're darkly funny and, and readers have love it. And then every day I share true stories. I share and people seem to love what just for the reason that you said about I think we're here to share our stories, not keep them to ourselves. And I certainly share mine. So every day I'm on TikTok, okay. uh, also on Instagram and Facebook. I repost there, but I tell a true story wearing high heels every day. <laughs> and you can find me at Jamie underscore Brickhouse. Awesome. And I will put, I'll put all that in the, um, in our bio too of this. Oh, okay, great. That way everybody can reach out to you too, but no, that's great that you said that. Cause I'm now I'm going to have to get your audible book for sure. I can't wait to get it. So awesome. Well, is there any last thing that you want to say to anybody before we wrap it up? Um, you know, I was, uh, like a lot of us at the end, I was completely helpless, you know, and a lot of us want to die, uh, and, you know, and want our, and, and I, and I took that next step, um, you know, in attempting suicide and, uh, and these days, since I've been sober, I have, I have days where I'm down in the dumps and sometimes a knee jerk of like, oh, I just want to kill myself. I, I still go to that, but. I'm not hopeless anymore. You know, mm-hmm. um, I've got hope through, through connection through yeah. people like you, Tammy. So, um, awesome. uh, I think as long as you're, you're, you stay connected, um, there's going to be hope in your lives. Yeah. I, I, I do want to emphasize a little bit on that too. When you said that you've picked up the phone and you called that guy, you know, when you were ready, when you were wanting to drink and people, I tell people all the time, it's so important to reach out to somebody, you know, and a lot of times it's just us reaching out and sharing, like, I want to drink today. And they could, you could be like, well, why? And then you could explain something. And then that just helped because you were able to talk about it. And I think the people exactly. need to, to know that you can do that. And that's why connections are so important and not to hibernate with yourself because that's when it all will fall apart. So, yeah. Great. Well, awesome. thank you for having me on, Tammy. 
Thank you. And you have a blessed day. And everybody, thank you for getting on hope. Like I said, you're not struggling alone. I promise you there's so many people out there that have struggled, but so many people that have gotten to a strength just like Jamie. And so I hope that you hear the story today. And if you are that person that's at home struggling, that you can get up, walk outside, call somebody, get to a meeting or something. You guys all have a blessed day. And thank you so much for jumping on hope. Bye, Tammy. Bye-bye. Thank you.